0: Hello and welcome to the 6th edition of Spindrift, the magazine where I put my own spin on the news. My name is Ken Matthews. In the days when Spindrift was a tiny lad, the Beano and the Dandy comics were required reading along with the Eagle comic, complete with Dare and the Evil Mekon. I still remember coming out of Milton House School in the Royal Mile, in Edinburgh, and be given the first edition of The Eagle free from vendors trying to ensure that they received part of my meagre pocket money every week. The school has since been renamed, although it still has the original name carved into the masonry, and as I think back, how I wished I'd kept that copy of The Eagle as it would be worth a fortune at auction nowadays. I haven't actually looked inside a dandy Orbino since those halcyon days. At least, they seem like halcyon days to me now as I look back. In those days we had a playground full of comic vendors. Nowadays, it's a playground full of drug dealers. I digress. Back to the comics. These comics were full of adverts trying to get us to part with our pocket money and we were offered all sorts of things for pennies. Foreign stamps were the most popular and there were pages of advertisements trying to entice us to buy their wares offering to send us hundreds of free stamps if we agreed to accept stamps on approval. All we had to do was look at these immaculate desirable postage stamps and send the ones we didn't want back, along with a postal order for the new ones we had chosen. I suspect there are a lot of houses around my old school that still have some books of these approvals languishing somewhere in the cupboards. Well, they never specified as to how long they were on approval. The most popular advert, at least among us sniggering boys, was the one that offered x-ray specs for a few shillings, not that we could ever afford them. These adverts declared that the buyer of these x-ray specs would be able to see through clothes and showed a cartoon picture of boys wearing them, ogling girls as they passed. Obviously, someone somewhere bought them, as the adverts continued till I stopped reading the comics. Now I can look back and smile. But how gullible we were as children. X-ray specs indeed. How ridiculous. Not anymore. An X-ray scanner, which sees through clothing, has been developed and actually put into production. Alas, you won't be able to mount them on a pair of spectacles and parade up and down the streets ogling. Well, not unless you've been doing some really heavy-duty bodybuilding. The scanner weighs 500 kilograms, That's nearly a tonne, and costs £120,000. The scanner, dubbed the machine, was driven into Harlesden's busy high street on an articulated lorry. Goodness gracious, I hear you cry. Are we not safe from peeping toms anywhere? Well, you're safe enough for the moment, as this was an exercise carried out by Scotland Yard during a massive drugs raid. The raid resulted in more than 30 people being arrested. The street was totally closed off by a convoy of vehicles and two public houses were raided that were being used as a base of operations by a Jamaican drug dealing gang. The convoy included three articulated lorries, each carrying a container with electricity, heating and running water. 200 suspects from the public houses were then hustled into the machine and given the option of a strip search inside the containers, or the option to stand in front of the new body scanner which showed an image of the suspect minus their clothes on a monitor. Spindrift was not told how many elected to stand in front of the X-ray scanner, although Reports have reached my ears of gasps of admiration from attending police officers at the scene. Did you hear about that x-ray machine that looks through women's clothes in Arlesden, Dell, Boy? Yeah, but it looks through men's clothes as well, Rodders. Anyway, what about it? You know that nightclub we've got, Delboy, The one that's losing money? Yeah, what about it? Well, I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Look here, Del Boy. What if we bought one of these ear x-ray scanner gadgets? Yeah, and put it in the front window of the club. All the punters passing by would see all the naked people and come in. You're such a plonker, Rodney. The sky's clear, Skipper. No sign of boogies Roger Eagle Flight. Climb to Angel Five. We are picking up 50 plus bandits to the east. You should be seeing them soon. Engage enemy on sight. Roger. We'll go. Flight. Bogies. Hundreds of them. Bogies at six o'clock. Let's take them out. Come on, let's go. Let's take them out. Let's go. Take them all out. As what Professor Dr Friedrich Biesinger would have us all do if he got his way. I can sense the puzzlement on your faces. The professor would have us all up in the sky shooting down enemy fighters. No. The answer is, the good doctor would have us all sticking our fingers up our noses and pulling out bogies. I can hear squirming. Well, I suppose we'd better get it out of the way as it gets worse. Not only does he want us to pull them out of our nostrils, he then expects us to stick the aforesaid bogies into our mouths and eat them. I expect you're all shuddering now. I know I still am, and I read the article a couple of days ago. The Innsbruck-based lung specialist, Professor Bishinger said people who picked their noses with their fingers were healthy, happier, and probably better in tune with their bodies. Spindrift is quite sure that they're quite familiar with their nasal cavities anyway, he goes on to say. Medically, it makes great sense. In terms of the immune system, the nose is a filter in which a great deal of bacteria are collected. And when this mixture arrives in the intestines, it works just like a medicine. I don't know about you, dear listener, but the thought still makes me shudder. I think I'll just carry on going to my Chinese doctor and get him to stick pins in me. If you visit Edinburgh and catch one of the countless bus tours that play tapes to tell you about the buildings you're parked at, whatever happened to those tourist guys, by the way? At least you could get your questions answered. Anyway, when I think about it, How do you know you parked outside the building or site that the tape is describing? I pose these questions because reports are reaching Spindrift's ears that tourists to the capital are catching these tour buses which stop beside a small building site. The tape then describes what they are looking at, prattling on. You can see the New Parliament building taking shape on our right. It is due to open in the year 2002 and is expected to cost around £240 million. The tourists looked blankly at the boarded-up building site whilst one looked at the date on his watch before making the observation that this is 2004. Another asked the driver for reassurance that this was indeed the new parliament building, his answer going unheard as the bus started to rock with the laughter of the passengers as the tape burbled on happily. The Scottish people voted overwhelmingly for our new parliament and we are very proud of it. Ian Cowper, managing director of Edinburgh Bus Tours, was questioned about this by a spindrift researcher and the answer he received was this. We try to limit the number of times we re-record the commentary, as it is a fairly costly exercise and we want to keep our ticket prices as low as possible. Oh, the shame of it! The capital city of Scotland, and this is the best service we can provide to impress visitors. Let me say right now that I would record the commentary in less than a day and I'll do it for free. The irony of the whole thing is, they can afford £500 million for a building which is no larger than a holiday inn, yet cannot afford a few bore bees, a wee Scottish term there, for an up-to-date recording. To these tourists at least, the reputation that we Scots have of being skinflints is well deserved. And now, on to Spindrift's Stupidity of the Week award, and there are two contenders for the honour. The first to take the stand is a Texas woman who is heating fish fingers in her oven for her tea. Nothing unusual in that, is there? There is, if it's also used as your gun cupboard. The woman kept a point three five seven calibre handgun in her oven, and forgot to take it out when she was preparing her meal. The result? The gun heated up and started firing off rounds merrily, one of the shells shooting the woman, Roxanne Perez, in the leg. She was taken to a local hospital where they told my colleague that she was in good condition. No charges have been filed because the shooting was accidental. Candidate number two is an Australian judge. Dean Mildred. Judge Mildred was trying a case against an 18-year-old, one Tristan Ellis, who was facing 28 breaking and entering charges. On being told that Ellis had been bailed three times by the court after appearing before them in respect of the charges, the judge shouted out, demanding to know the name of the idiot who had allowed the burglar his freedom. The lawyer looked at his papers and said, You did judge. The name on the papers is that of Judge Dean Milgin. After an abashed silence, Ellis was remanded for sentencing in the Northern Territory Supreme Court on Thursday. And the winner is... Well, it has to be Roxanne Perez of Texas. Not only does she win this week's award for stupidity, she also wins the coveted monthly luckiest person award. As I speak, the date is the 2nd of April. Thank goodness April Fool's Day is over. As you know, the sign of a good April Fool's Day joke is one that meets two criteria, at least. It has to do so for spindrift. The first, it has to be funny, and secondly, it can be no joke if somebody is harmed by the jape. In the course of my constant search for material for spindrift, I came across a website for a book entitled Mulvania A Land Untouched by Modern Dentistry A Jetlag Travel Guide. Now, This is either the best and most complete April Fools joke that Spindrift has ever seen or it's for real. I'm unable to make up my mind. Well, let's try and unravel this together. Why do I say it's the most complete? Well, I have tried to research various places or people that are mentioned in the book preview on the internet and all I get back are links back to the page that contains the details of the book. For instance, the blurb reads: "As far as homegrown talent goes, one need look no further than Jakob Rebliten, fifteen eighty-three to sixteen eleven. Rebliten was a dedicated craftsman who had a detailed knowledge of anatomy that came from hours spent dissecting corpses. Interestingly." This proved of little direct benefit to his art, as he only ever painted landscapes. Now, as I say on the television programme, Through the Keyhole, the clues are there. The preview starts off. In the 1920s, Mulvania was the theatrical capital of Europe, and its most famous practitioner was the Marxist poet and playwright Jose Wepkoyat. 1897 to 1946 Veb Koyat revolutionized the dramatic arts by inventing a form of theater in which the writer deliberately set out to alienate his audience. a philosophy he pursued with considerable success, and one that has influenced all Mulvanian playwrights since. Is this a clue? I write, and as far as I'm concerned, I want to keep bums on seats and not chase them away. Then the writer goes on to tell us of a typical Mulvanian joke. A man is shooting deer in the woods when he comes across a chest full of gold coins. This must belong to someone very wealthy, he thinks, and decides to sit and wait for the owner to return so he can rob him of the wealth. Following that... The writers then go on to warn us of a visit to the Luton-Blag Museum of Local History, which offers a video presentation entitled Treasures from the Past. They go on to say that one reader wrote to inform them that the presentation was unsuitable for children due to its length, volume, frequent graphic depictions of medieval torture and racist overtones. They then tell us about a typographical error in the previous edition of the book. In our last edition it was written that guests staying at the Zribel Youth Hostel would find a towel included in each dormitory. That was an error and should in fact have read trowel, a reference to the establishment's outdoor toilet facilities, then followed up by asking, if you are cruising at 30,000 feet heading northeast over Romania and downwind of Chernobyl, would you or any of your fellow passengers know that below you lies the tiny former Socialist Republic of Mulvania, with its sleazy-sounding medieval towns of Scunge, Vayana, and Strotun? The country is slap-bang at the centre of Europe that is so geographically occluded, ringed by stinking bogs and jagged mountains, and its people so xenophobic that virtually nobody has heard of it. The article goes on and on in this vein, enough to make your head spin, then seems to stagger towards a finish. All our worst travel guide experiences are combined in Mulvania, a land untouched by modern dentistry, which explain might explain why it spent 12 weeks topping the sales chart in Australia. Rob Sitch part of the Melbourne-based team behind the Mulvanian spoof, told us, The prevalence of travel guides means that there is so little left to explore these days, no place you can go without a book telling you how they did it first. We took a map of the world and thought to ourselves, where can we hide somewhere completely fictitious? The butt of their joke is Tony Wheeler, a former student traveller from the UK who wrote the first Lonely Planet guides, together with his wife Maureen in the mid-1970s. So it's a spoof, then, of a real book, and not an April Fool's joke. The final paragraph states, The more brilliant the guidebook, the more people are attracted to a destination, and the less interesting the travel experience to be had. This is the Lonely Planet conundrum. We write this aboard a Siberian mail train about to roll into the oil town of Sagut, where we are researching another story. Our fellow passengers have spent nine hours ribbing us about the gunfights that keep townsfolk awake all night. There is no Lonely Planet Guide for Sagut, and we miss it terribly. The reassuring list of clean hotels and friendly bars, even the name of a good doctor. So it's real then? Or is it? I leave you to decide. Well, that's it for the sixth edition of Spindrift. So, from my lofty eyrie on top of the fourth road bridge, I will keep an eye out for more gossip, and I will be back. Don't forget, Spindrift. This is Kenneth J. Matthews. Bye.